0: Hello, and welcome to Book Reviews Kill, a podcast about fantasy, sci-fi, and horror novels. I'm Evan. And I'm Chad. And you're joining us today for our recap and discussion of The Song of Susanna, book six in the Dark Tower series by Stephen King, the penultimate volume in our journey to the Dark Tower is complete. We completed it a little while ago, but I was sick and <laughs> we're already, both Chad and I are already almost done with book seven. So this is going to be an interesting episode because Chad and I know quite a bit about what happens afterward, but we're going to try our best not to, we're going to try to just localize this episode to Go this Go back point. in time, right. take
1: my brain. I was having trouble separating the stories in my mind earlier today, so hopefully I don't make that error.
0: Well, it's but difficult I myself, not oh, to because I I'm not without spoiling anything. Like a lot of the events from this book, really, really bleed into the seventh book, almost to the point where the first part of the seventh book is a is like a recap, almost like not yeah. not a total recap, but you know you know what I'm trying to say. So it's it like, feels
1: like the last 100 pages of this of what this book should have been.
0: Well, and that's the interesting thing about book six is that it it's more than anything a bridge book. If there is a bridge yeah. book in this series, then book like six is filler. absolutely no but it's it's it feels the least like it has its own independent narrative like it's very dependent on books five and seven uh it's almost like a really long chapter that sometimes feels like it's supposed to be like in another one of the books but it is i mean it's 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 a tonal shift from book five in my opinion and it's very consistent with book seven so Mm It's very good. I like book six quite a bit. And I feel like a lot of the public sentiment around book six is that it's the weakest one in the series, but I honestly really don't think it is. I don't, don't, it's definitely not the strongest. I would say book five is the weakest personally, but that's just me. I don't know what your thoughts on that are. I wouldn't
1: say it's the, I would say probably book one, if we're just going for like the ones that really captivated me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like probably book
1: one, but like I really liked book one, but in my mind, I see it kind of as a really long prologue and it's a really good, really long prologue. And sets the stage for the weird and totally ever-changing journey that we're about to be going down. So I don't know. I, I liked it. That's not a statement of it being bad. It just um it just wasn't as action-packed or filled with as much dynamic things. We're just with Roland.
0: Yeah. I mean book six book six is very well paced in comparison to a few of the other books, but I would say that pacing doesn't necessarily come from action. It's more from questions being answered, a lot of good conversations that kind of move things along toward the final point that we're trying to get to. There are some parts of this book that I think maybe take a little too, like a lot of Mia that maybe doesn't need to be there. Right, she's
1: not a stay in character in my opinion, you know, when I was reading it.
0: Yeah, um, but still very interesting. But did we need like 100 pages of Mia? Like, I don't know. Or maybe actually it's like quite a bit more than that. It's funny, this is a fairly long book but it doesn't feel as long after reading wizarding glass and wolves of the color. Like I feel like I've been going into right the dark through tower.
1: It. Yeah, exactly. The
0: dark tower is so Huge. long.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh.
0: But with all that being said, this was a very excellent book and I'm really excited to sit down here and talk with you about it, Chad, and get a lot of your thoughts on this before we head into our, our second to last episode. If you want to count, went through the keyhole, but our last episode, which will be coming up soon for, book seven in the Dark Tower series, but we got to get this one out of the way first, so let's get the recap all finished up here. Let's do it. The book begins after Susanna's escape through Doorway Cave. Roland, Eddie, and Jake confer with the Manny in Calibrin Sturgis and plan for Roland and Eddie to enter the door to rescue Susanna, while Jake and Father Callahan will go through next to convince Calvin Tower to sell the vacant lot. This does not go according to plan, however. The groups get sucked through in opposite order Jake and Father Callahan to 1999 New York, and Roland and Eddie to Maine in 1977. Meanwhile, in New York City in the year 1999, Mia is frantically searching for a place to have her baby. Susanna finds the sculpata inside a pocket in the Midworld bowling bag. She uses it to get a hotel room to await the phone call Mia is expecting. While Mia and Susanna wait, they discuss the origins of the baby. Eventually, Richard Sayre calls and instructs Mia to go to the Dixie Pig to have the baby. Susanna leaves the Sculpata outside the Dixie Pig for Jake to find. Inside, Susanna Mia is taken through a door to Fettig, where they are separated. Back in 1977, Roland and Eddie are dropped in the middle of an ambush set up by Jack Andolini. They meet John Cullum, who helps Roland and Eddie escape the ambush and takes them back to his house, where he tells them of Stephen King, Turtleback Lane, and the Walkins. He lends them his old Ford Galaxy truck and is told to leave for Vermont. The duo meet with Calvin Tower and Aaron Deepnow and convince them to sign over the deed to the vacant lot to the Tet Corporation in order to keep the roads safe. Roland and Eddie visit Stephen King, whom the gunslinger hypnotizes. We find out that King is not a god, but rather a medium for the story of the Dark Tower to transmit itself through. Roland also implants in King the suggestion to restart his efforts in writing the Dark Tower series, which he has abandoned of late, claiming that there are major forces involved that are trying to prevent him from finishing it. The Kotet are convinced that the success of their quest itself depends somehow on King's writing about it through the story. In 1999 New York, Jake nearly shoots a driver that almost runs over Oy, but is stopped by Callahan and the Reverend Earl Harrigan. Jake finds the hotel where Susanna Mia left Black 13. They attempt to remove it safely, but it wakes up and urges them to murder each other. They almost succumb to Black 13's influence, but Callahan uses his restored faith to put the orb back to sleep. He and Jake then move Black 13 to a long-term storage locker underneath the World Trade Center with the hope that either it will stay dormant or Roland will at some point come to destroy it. They then head to the Dixie Pig, where they find the Sculpata, and prepare to ambush the forces within. The book ends with Jake and Callahan entering with weapons raised and Susanna Mia about to give birth in Fettig, a town in Thunderclap. In the epilogue, we read the diary of Stephen King, which details his writing of the first four books of the Dark Tower story. It is said that the character, Stephen King, dies on June 19th, 1999. All right. Short, sweet, to the point. Also kind of an acid trip of a book. (laughs) It's an acid trip of a book. It's a lot. Yeah. I
1: mentioned to you previously before we started that the amount of weird in these books grows proportional to, or similarly to how the, the amount of like, graphic content in the akatar series.
0: Yeah, it just keeps ramping up. Yeah.
1: And and I thought I now know that this is not true, but looking at my notes here when I didn't hadn't started the next book, I was like, okay, this book is going to be the culmination of weird in the series because the last book he's like obviously got to finish up a bunch of stuff. It's going to be this nice pretty ending, which I don't know if I'm going to get that, but I just thought he was going to have some fun with this book and this was like his book to do that. But like that is totally incorrect.
0: No, this is weird. the on ramp Contin- to the weird yeah uh, and you know i mean it's like way. the the weirdness is not it's not really like these odd things happening that don't make sense it's oh, more like the story it, it absolutely serves a story it's more like you know it, it's getting more meta obviously because we see stephen king actually let's just start with that i wanted to ask you about that what did you think about roland and eddie's meeting with stephen king like do you think that that king like our king on our level of the tower like did a good job making himself into a character so, I have thoughts on this. I liked him being in
1: the story. I thought it was unique. I thought it was fresh. I liked him being mentioned in the story. And then <laughs> yeah. they visit him literally, and I was so undecided for probably a few days after even that scene. And yeah. I like, went back and kind of skimmed over it again because it really does add to the story. And it's I've never seen another author do it before. I've never seen that sort of self-insertion into a story and I feel like it's kind of surprising that I haven't
0: yeah I mean if it has happened it's not to this degree
1: right yeah and uh you know at first I was like is he making himself a god and like no he's more the 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 mouthpiece for the story and he he approaches it very humbly and very realistically and I was like he did a great job doing it like at no point could I find fault in him his execution of that idea
0: yeah I mean I feel like the way that I look at it is that King wrote himself as like a beam almost yeah you know know what I mean like like it's like his job to support like how do I say this to like hold up the characters that are trying to hold up the tower right Mm -hmm. so it's like it's almost like he's he wrote himself as almost like an inanimate object almost like does that make sense yeah, like yeah totally uh, and they're not almost inanimate that
1: way too they're like a racist memory they, you know? and
0: they're also like dicks to him <laughs> like yeah well, i mean they're not so so i think that a really cool thing that king did is that he wrote not himself but he wrote his idea of himself in the 70s f- from the early 2000s so it was like an old it was like an older man writing about a much younger like kind of naive and lazy writer like i right. mean he like even king in this book like he's he kind of comes off like he doesn't really think much of himself
1: right there's obviously some like substance abuse going on lots yeah. of beers everywhere yeah And even it was like Roland the first Eddie... thing kind of tumultuous happens he's like i'm hitting a beer
0: right exactly <laughs> and it's like kind of early i think
1: yeah yeah it was way early he's gonna go pick up his daughter like right after that
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know and obviously i think that king has been very open about his substance abuse and like his own critiques of himself and like writing i do believe he dumps like out the
1: rest of his beer though so kind of makes note of that he's not like he's being responsible it's
0: interesting yeah um i think that it's a very cool idea that he did it i don't it never really bothered me like it never was this maybe it's because i'm such a huge stephen king fan but for me it didn't bother me
1: once i thought about it more
0: yeah i mean i and that's not knocking anybody that has a problem with it because i can see why for somebody especially if it's your first time reading this these books i can see why it seems like this like self-indulgent kind of Unnecessary thing to do.
1: If you would have saved an orphanage, I would have hated it. But I mean, the whole thing is it.
0: self-indulgent and unnecessary, though. I'd mean, like, that—that's you know, neither here nor there. But I will say, it—it it seems like King putting himself in makes a lot of sense for the nature of these books, right? If you were moving around a bunch of different di- dimensions and things like that, you'd be bound to run into yourself. It asks a lot of really interesting questions that are difficult to answer. I, like you said he did it in a way where it wasn't king turned himself into the most important person in the universe and it's Saves it's not really day. like that no, no no it's he's just like some dude that right. is that the tower is using to tell its own story of uh, of sorts uh, and and hold itself up and in mm-hmm. you know the way another way that i look at it is like um there is a certain duality here in the, in this series and roland and his quartet, and John Colum and like a few other main players in and uh even like Father Callahan things like that they're the white right they're the 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 side for good and like the crimson king and the man in black like is the 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 darkness you know and king wrote himself into the white but almost as like this kind of he, like he's Aiden just Remus. He, he like needs to be there but it's just like he's not he's not as active a participant as roland and eddie and Susanna and jake and hoy I mean, he's almost doing it by accident i mean he kind of is i mean what'd you think about how king was talking about how and when i say king i mean the character king right it's difficult to have <laughs> i
1: love how you have to make that distinction we do have to like i said i came around i like it a lot actually. yeah totally
0: um, but what, what did you think about King saying that he felt like like it it like freaked him out to write it? He didn't like writing it because it felt like there were forces that were trying to make it so he wasn't able to. I loved that. I thought that was great. No,
1: I don't know how meta that is. Like, did he literally feel like that, or no? It was it was like obviously the forces of the Crimson King trying to be like, don't aid the quartet.
0: So i think it serves the story and he wrote it in to serve the story and i think also maybe he was using it in a way of like kind of expressing maybe where some of his reluctance to work comes from or like his days where he feels really lazy or he feels like Mm -hmm. maybe he was excited initially about something but now he's not anymore and i'm sure that happens so much even to like the best writers where you know it it feels like Work and it feels like they started something and they were excited about it and then it felt like they weren't really supposed to be doing it. But then there's like another part of them that made them feel like they had to finish it and they didn't right. really know like where that was coming from. Like so I wonder maybe, if like
1: his substance abuse was like a way to t- like numb the calling. To yeah, maybe. You know? like, I don't yeah, know. Maybe. I kind of got deep with it in my
0: brain, but I'm sure he did too. I mean, and he's used. uh He's like kind of like anthropomorphized or personified his substance abuse. Um, I think that Annie Wilkes in Misery is supposed to be a representation for like cocaine or you know insert Mm. whatever drug he was abusing it was holding him hostage you know like it was it was keeping him locked up when he was trying to write and trying to dictate the way that he was writing and he felt like without it he wouldn't be able to write and all this stuff so i think that he is pouring quite a bit of himself into at least the the meta part of this book if not a bunch of other parts as well but this is like very uh, like obvious you know like this is oh, just, yeah, but I think it's, it's very, pulled off
1: I, I agree I agree like I said I kind of had to go back and listen to it again and then I like made my decision after that and I liked it he executed well and I think it's fun because I bet you at one point his editor was like just this once Stephen, just this once and then he was like okay that's fine but by writing himself <laughs> into this story he wrote himself into all his stories because this is yeah, the story them. right and so he kind of gave himself a
0: well it's like a most golden of them ticket,
1: so to speak to if he wants to he has a mechanism that can take himself into any of his stories you know
0: yeah like if he wrote like a sequel to um like insomnia or something like that then he could just throw himself in there and it would all all kinda... right
1: now <laughs> the thing that i didn't really understand is like okay he's creating the story so is that why he's protected from the crimson king trying to kill him too because he created the crimson the crimson king needs him to live because he's Writing him too? Yeah, like I didn't I knew that he was obviously kind of like the father of Roland and Eddie and stuff, but I didn't know if he was also the father of everyone else. Everything. So he's
0: like mentioning the Crimson King. Um I look at it this is the way that I think about it, but like I think of it as like the 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 other side of the white or the Crimson King or the man in black or whatever, whoever's influencing him is also influencing him to create who's influencing him you know what i mean so right right like a, okay yeah oh like, boy that gets know, deep it's so crazy
1: uh brain no we just like lined two thought mirrors up and it was like i know oh, I exactly yeah
0: it's like they need him to mention them so that they can get him to not mention them <laughs> or like stop mentioning them or something It's so uh, what i liked was memory. he wasn't
1: inner circle like he like i said his execution was very good he wasn't just like immediately part of the group because it would be easy to become that knowing the characters as intimately as he does but i think he was very why, much an outsider
0: i think that's why he created the john Col- Column character um and part of me i don't know how true this is but i i wonder if he had written himself as Colum initially and then split that character into two different characters like i wonder if he was like all right so i'm gonna like pop in and save them during this ambush and then i'll give them a bunch of other answers to stuff and then he was probably like no that's too much of me i'll create this other character who is who is kind of column isn't cuttet but I, he like shares kef with them you know what i mean yes. it's it's like column is a really interesting he's a little very of, interesting but that's character. kind of drifting into book seven yeah, we yeah promise I, we do that. I have questions
1: so, yeah, we won't fine. do that okay so I didn't get about the whole Stephen King sequence and especially the ending when he fleshes it out a little bit more where he's talking about his wife warning him from the, the jogging and then he he dies, right? He like, writes his own death, kind of? I, I don't get it.
0: I think we're going to have to talk about that in episode seven.
1: Okay, um, Okay. it's not finished.
0: Right, yeah. Um, okay,
1: because I was really confused yeah. on that. I was like, wait, what?
0: He did write himself dying, but right. they have to... Like, yeah, that I happens in the book. It's, for, for at, just, the at least for the benefit of the people listening to this episode that haven't read book seven yet, let's just not go go through okay. that yet. I want to. I want to get into that. And we're going to on the next episode. But I think that that's a weird thing about this book, and even to some extent uh, Wolves of the Collar. but I feel like book six and book seven are like one big book. Book five is also part of that one big book, in my opinion, but especially book six and seven feel like one big book. And so mm-hmm. it's it's a little difficult. I'm glad we're breaking this up. I had actually had an, an, an the idea of doing one big long episode on both six and seven, but I'm glad oh we're kind yes. of...
1: We just were having a conversation about how we don't ever want to be the four-hour-long podcast guys. <laughs> you know, it would have I, been I a four-hour. I I found it an interesting choice, especially having read some of the seventh book, of where he decided to break those books, because it seems like... It would have been well served 100 pages into the seventh knowing what i know then i just feel like the climax of that book is in the beginning of the first one why do you think he did that what's your thoughts there
0: i think um it makes it makes a decent amount of sense to have the cliffhanger where it's at because um it's stopping right before the reader's expectation of quite a bit of action mm-hmm. so but it does feel like you're you're ending on no action almost so it's 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 an odd place to stop it but yeah. it feels very abrupt because they just like jake and callahan just kind of walk in there and then that's the end you know except for right the, and you're the like postscript. one of these
1: characters is probably going to die
0: or both or like who or like, both, you know what yeah. i mean like you're you're left in this spot because like jake and callahan i really love jake and callahan together by the way they had some really excellent oy, conversations oy, can't forget oy. Oy, okay well, never forget away is always yeah. in my heart but um, before they walk into the Dixie Pig, Jake and Callahan are basically they're like resigned. They're both pretty sure they're about to die. Yep. In a you know. in a
1: brave way. Yeah. They, but they don't like, even both know like stoked not stoked for their death, but like excited oh. to experience the the justice, <laughs> you know, like
0: Oh, yeah. They're for the white man. Like, yeah, like, they kind of like and a, a like true. violence
1: hard on, just like, all right, this oh, is what man. we're going to do. Jake um, in this
0: book is so great when he does like the whole, like, I'm walking here, like that whole yeah. part where he's about to shoot that guy for almost hitting Oi, which I would probably do if someone almost hit Oi too. I'd be I so-
1: almost stopped reading because <laughs> I thought he was hit oh, with yeah. I was like, if Oi dies that way, like, I'm just getting sorry, hit guys, by a car. I'm oh, not going to finish this. <laughs> it's okay like if so Stephen king mad. gets hit
0: by a car but not if roy gets hit by it no no <laughs> i was
1: very very uh upset for a second there i was like no he didn't
0: yeah i think that um o- uh oi and jake and callahan were probably the high point for me and it's it's cool that it's like left for the last part of the book. I think even King probably knew like Oy and Jake and Callahan work really well together mm-hmm. and having them be kind of the, I mean, I liked Mia and Susanna quite a bit too, especially when they're in Fedig and talking and we get a little bit more light shed on Mia. Um, I think all of that works really well. I mean, I, I would say my least favorite part of the book, um, even though I love Roland and Eddie's kind of like back and forth in the way that they communicate with each other. I didn't like them talking to Calvin Tower and Aaron Deepno. Even though it was really important, it just wasn't that interesting. Like it's right. just it's I like Calvin It's like and, Tower
1: being kind of whiny.
0: Yeah, exactly. For like a little it's a little drawn out. And then like Deepno is such a kind of like vanilla character. Like Calvin and Deepno both together are not very interesting at all. No. And even with Eddie and Roland in the room, like there's only so much you can do with those two characters. So I'm glad that it was like, it was like this thing they did, they did it and then they were out of there kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I have another question for you in regards to a lot of this is, this was the first time that the cotet was truly separated and, I, and felt like they were on very different missions. Like they are separated to a certain extent in Calibrin Sturgis, but they're all kind of still physically in the same area. Um, And they do right, see each like other. Right, they're like
1: sleeping at people's different homes. Right. But like but they that's... still see
0: each other and meet up with each other and share Kef and talk and stuff. But with this, they're separated by years, physical locales. What did you think about that? Do you think that they did well without each other to lean on as much? Uh, what did you think about their dynamics being a separated cuttet?
1: I thought it was really good because you can see, obviously, they have some deficiencies and some like, oh, man, this person, they even kind of talk about it sometimes. Like, I wish Roland was here to give us instruction on this or this person's always so steadfast in that. I missed these aspects about the other parts of the group, but they are all individual. You know, they're not one brain. They are all individual, separate, independent characters. And by kind of dividing them up a little bit, it gave each one the breathing room to grow just that much more es- Especially Jake, and I guess Susanna too, because the whole thing with Susanna is she's so used to, which is why Mia was so successful, right? She's so used to and accepting of other voices inside of her own head. In fact, she kind of grows comfortable with Mia, and like they almost like develop like a friendship,
0: kind of. Yeah, it's like a weird, it's like a companionship or like a camaraderie. Yeah, yeah companionship.
1: That's the right way of putting it. She wasn't lonely because she had Mia, um, and they both needed each other. You know, obviously. Mia doesn't know how to interact in like modern day New York, and so she needs Dedede or Adetta to help her get her Susanna to help her get around. But uh,
0: I think it was, was really well done.
1: It was like, very well done.
0: I mean, because Mia and Susanna, um, like the situation that they're in, is really weird, right? I mean, like it's not Susanna's baby, but it's like kind of Susanna's baby, but it's mostly Mia's baby, and Mia like made really... this deal. Get I can that. I can explain some of this okay, for cool. you too. Okay, so to like, my knowledge. Okay, okay, so yeah, so in The Gunslinger, remember when Roland I think it's in the way station or it could be I think it's another part. It's in the first book, and it's
1: right before they go through the mountain.
0: Yep. Right. It's that part. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, yeah,
1: and that's what they so he holds on
0: to his So that that gism- thing was a succubus <laughs> and it held on to Roland's seed and then okay. switched to an incubus when it had sex with Uh, Susanna in book three and then it switched back to like a a woman like demon type thing which is Mia and then oh and so it was able to like so it was able to like gestate a baby in Susanna with the personality of this demon how did it It get inside Susanna though it was our it was in her the whole time like from it like <laughs> at least this from is how when, i'm looking at it from when Susanna had to has, uh have sex with that demon oh who in the wastelands when jake was coming through the door so it wasn't right? so
1: much of as an inseminating her it was like merging the demon's body that was already starting the process with her and taking one of her eggs i don't I mean, okay, we so delve into the science. This is this like, is a very
0: weird thing. So I'm trying my very so best weird. to explain this. So like, Roland inseminated this demon thing in book one, right? And then yeah, Susanna. The shocking part of book one, for Susanna, me. Like, oh, that happened. Yeah, and then Susanna had sex with the same like entity right. in book three. I and, didn't and know that. Though. If I'm wrong about this, somebody send me an email because, like, I if you're right about this, c- c- go off. Like, congratulations. Because no, no, right. I'm been like trying... remembering a conversation okay, so,
1: with the characters as you're saying it. That so,
0: and then Mia, Mia is like this presence, like this thing that is pregnant with Roland's baby through Susanna, as like a sort of physical, like surrogate, and then mia that entity was able to make a deal with sayer so that if she was a so if she made the birth possible and like brought susanna physically to the dixie pig and then therefore to fedig right then they would be able to separate the two of them and then make sure that the baby was born and they promised mia that she'd be able to have it for a few years and like love it and take care of it and right stuff. like
1: three to five years
0: right exactly so like that at least to my knowledge <laughs> is that like... sounds right and so i susanna... don't
1: understand like the mechanics involved so like, susanna has like a
0: working knowledge of like what's going on here and at first she's really creeped out by it isn't super comfortable with it doesn't like it doesn't like mia is annoyed no with mia Um, but then like towards it's like you're starting to kind of see like so she at least has some sort of like sympathy for mia and understanding some empathy there even though like she doesn't want like like susanna right. doesn't want the baby, baby no you know but I there's
1: like, like obviously like no better candidate ever than someone having another person inside them because she's kind of been multiple people all her life
0: yeah it's <laughs> i would i would say as far as weird things in these books that takes the weird cake uh, you know what i mean like that's one of the things where King really took the ball and ran with it. Yeah, and whatever. Was, I mean, because like, we dead talk is still ab- around.
1: She still comes up from time. Oh to yeah, time.
0: dead is still there. Yeah,
1: she's like not as heavy as a operator of the um, machine that is susan but like you know she'll pop out from time to time and say super mean things or be when like when susanna needs to be like super tough and mean i was gonna
0: say yeah it's like not even just that Detta is mean it's like Detta is just working together right um well what i'm curious about is like is susanna and this is something that i still don't really know for sure after even my second read-through but like do you think that susanna is a, a wholly different personality or do you think that she's a combination of Detta and odetta or do you think that odetta Detta and Susanna are all wholly separate personalities. And then Mia was like this fourth kind of personality. Because I, I I feel like Mia isn't as much Mia isn't like Detta. No. You know what I mean? Mia's like this whole no. other thing. Whole other thing. But Susanna was acting as Mia physically and like a physical like a physical manifestation of Mia just mm-hmm. like she's a physical manifestation of Detta. so like right, this, before they very, actually start trading places oh my god it's so like much. you're in control. Like, I'm in control I'm really honestly really proud of myself and proud of you for even being able to have like a coherent this conversation, conversation is it. about it okay this is psychic. what I think happened
1: yeah. I think Odetta is gone completely I think that character morphed and combined with part of Detta hmm. to create the most person, mostly flushed out full person that is Susanna, who's like 80% yeah. a person, but there's 20% left of Detta that is a a well-meaning hard ass.
0: Right. I, like a I like good that. person. Yeah. But
1: like and and I don't even think they're separate. I just think Susanna thinks of it this way because it's so comfortable and like it's a it's a safe place for her to be talking to herself. I think it's just kind of the self-preservation self-preservative and tougher skin that we'll sometimes all wear in certain situations. Yeah. Um, that she just kind of personifies and brings to the forefront.
0: Mm. Yeah. See, it's like I don't even know how right you are about that, but it sounds right. No <laughs> yeah,
1: right. And like is never mentioned again.
0: Yeah. Uh she is it's
1: though. It's just Detta and it's just Susanna.
0: Oh yeah, no, you're right. Od is not. Odetta, yeah.
1: Odetta's gone.
0: I have another question here for you. Okay. Did you notice any differences in Stephen King like our Stephen King's this <laughs> level of the Towers Stephen King's writing style when you compare this book uh and and even book 5 to an extent or book 7 or I like I like I said on the previous episode mm-hmm. I think that books 5, 6 and 7 feel very similar to each other but did you notice any difference in his writing anything specific between these books and the ones that came out in like the 80s and 90s or does it all feel kind of like one writer
1: like I mean it's all like such a wild storm that it's just like I'm just getting hit with chairs I don't even know you know (laughs) (laughs) maybe one of them was a lawn chair like a like a bird bath or something but I don't know it's so it's so different I'm in such a new crazy world all the time literally and figuratively that I did not notice any like specific differences in the writing style maybe in his like choice of where he ended the book because he's certainly you yeah. know i think i mean i don't think that that's really new for king though like i think just reading these books i can tell he loves to be like and this crazy thing's gonna happen tomorrow <laughs> you know being the connoisseur of king that you are tell me i'm sure you have opinions here
0: so like i've read a lot of king in in most of his like eras um and one thing that i've noticed about like his older stuff especially his like early to mid 80s stuff is it seems a little bit more like Fever dream ish, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, uh, he was writing very much under the influence a lot of the time, and um, like, I feel like his writing and loathingy. I feel like his writing with his like post two thousands stuff, which is what books five, six, and seven are. They feel a lot more like kind of cleaned up, focused. Um, like he doesn't go on as many like, uh, like narrative tangents, and he doesn't go on as many kind of like inner dialogue like hop down memory lane kind of he he still does it for sure he still does it but um and I, i think that like what's a good way of putting this like i feel like 80s king and even into 90s king is a little more like gross like he's trying to gross you out a little bit more Totally. and then in as he's gotten a lot older I feel like he doesn't <laughs> he do it. he still does it like obviously but um like yeah. it's, it's less about like balls and guts and sweat and stuff like that and more about like you know kind of more abstract feelings and things like that Mm -hmm. so and uh, i feel like his descriptions get a lot more sparse as he gets older not sparse but like uh, there's a lot more brevity to his descriptions as he's gotten older as well so when someone walks into a room he's kind of hitting high points instead of like relating what something looks like to something that someone else is thinking about like he would have like in his earlier work um, right, and usually that thing that he's relating it to is like kind of gross or dumb or weird or something. Yeah, so he loves
1: like, to see his story through a third party.
0: Yeah, and he still does it as he's getting older, but I feel like it's just a little bit more focused and a little Better. bit more like kind of he's just like more on the ball with stuff, which sounds like a compliment. But I am, I much prefer his like older, more like visceral. The like, yeah, I kind of like prefer that stuff. It's just it feels like more of a voice. Like I feel like as King has gotten a lot older, and especially if you read a lot of like like The Outsider, The Institute, or even like Fairy Tale to a certain extent, um, it feels much more um, influenced by like your kind of more pop writers of like right. it's he's more like, like, like a, swimming in the stream now yeah it's more of like a Grisham or a Patterson or or like a John Irving or something like that mm-hmm. but but that's and that's fine and I like those writers um but you can tell that he's kind of like carried those influences a little bit more than like when he was writing more like like Lovecrafty kind of um he's going out of his way to make you uncomfortable in a lot of his earlier work and then he's going out of his way to stay uh coherent (laughs) in but maybe that's just my personal taste and like what i've noticed too because it's so it's so hard to like really put a a writer like king into a box and say like like, i know there's no less
1: discomfort for me in first half of oh yeah he still goes dark tower
0: (laughs) it just feels it just feels dirtier yeah, the earlier okay. stuff feels dirtier, and this stuff feels more cleaned up. At least that's how I'm thinking of it, you know?
1: Almost in, like, a literally like, visual sense, too. Like,
0: Yeah, that's what it, yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, like
1: an aesthetic. So one thing, and I, I haven't read enough King to know if this is, like, a thing that he does often. So, like, this will, uh, I'm going try to turn this into, like, a question format. Does he do this often? When there's a random little, like, what the hell moment when... King and when Eddie and Roland just get done with going through the cave and they have their gunfight, and Eddie sees Roland tap his throat three times. And he's like, Oh, I need to ask Roland what that means. And then King's line is crazy and it says, But he would never get the chance, as the next time he would think of it, death will have slipped between them. I'm like, Whoa, 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 whoa. Did he just tell us one of them would definitely die? <laughs>
0: And it's a like sneaky. There. So
1: random. Like yeah. you would almost. I almost like skipped over it. Yeah. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa what?
0: Yeah, like, it's funny. Like, I wonder if it's like. I mean, obviously, this has been edited. This has been combed over. Uh uh-huh. you know, But like, some. It's just like, is he telling that to himself? Is this like his way of taking notes on his own work? And he just like right. accidentally leave. I've wondered that sometimes too with a lot of the stuff that he writes, where it's like, dude, are you sure you meant to like. Leave, leave us that in there? on that like like it, he ends chapters really frequently with of just being like and that was the last time they ever saw each other and it's like wait right. why did you do that you
1: just like, answered the it, question of the mystery that you left it on like what
0: but uh i think he does a really good job at it because it it, it he doesn't give you the whole like he you know it's not like and that was the last time they talked to each other because of this you know what i mean it's mm-hmm. like now you're going into this situation with more knowledge than you thought you were going to but still not enough you know so i think he does it pretty well but it's it's just like it seems like one of those kind of like almost like no-brainer rules of writing like don't give away the whole farm dude like what are you doing like what? you want people to be surprised but somehow you still are you know right yeah he's like
1: he's like i'm gonna tell you guys a joke this is the punchline though okay now let me hit you with the joke and then it kind of ends somewhere other than you thought it would
0: take yeah even though you had the punchline right which which is is almost like more
1: clever He's the man. So he is the man. Um, So a thing that I really liked was he gave Eddie the opportunity to relapse. And he didn't. And it was like, I'm glad we didn't have to go through that again, but I'm glad oh, that yeah. he was presented with the, option of going back down that road and right. he even's kind of like stoked on it. he's like yeah i'll take some and yeah. then he's like no 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 no, Dad, no, and no they
0: say like i want four of those percocet or something yeah yeah and the guy's like really you want four and he's like i'll, I'll, I'll oh, be fine definitely. but he doesn't do it which is really cool i mean
1: he does take it for the gunshot wound that he has but then he has the opportunity yeah. to take more later and right. then it's going to become kind of like druggy behavior you know like he needed it medically for right.
0: that but not like he didn't want to party Right, right,
1: exactly. He probably did want to party, but he didn't. But then he kind of stops himself. Uh, That, and then my other favorite part was just the conversation that Jake, kind of the rundown that he gives the priest. Yeah. Before going into, which, you know, we don't get in this book, but man, it was just. It's just Jake has come so far. He's just such a little man, and I'm like, I'm proud of him. You know? Oh yeah,
0: we're, we're all proud of Jake.
1: Yeah, I just we're had all... like tears in my eyes. Like, yeah, yeah. you tell him, Jake. He's like, you stay ten feet to my left as why yeah. as I go forward, you go forward. Like, <laughs> oh, just man, the fact that like he's leading that charge, like He's, he's Roland's son. Oh, he's rolling greatest. son. It's so Jake perfect, is wonderful.
0: Uh, okay, so we're gonna wrap it up here. Uh, I just want to ask you. I don't know if even we'll be able to wrap it up after I ask you this, because this could lead us down. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll try my best, um, and this is my only opportunity that I'm going to have to ask you this question, so I'm going to ask it right now. How do you think book seven is going to end?
1: Stephen King has proven time and time again his ability to go left when I think that is not even a direction the story <laughs> could possibly go. And that it's and a hard left. It, yeah. <laughs> But he doesn't do it with bludgeoning his story. He never beats the hell out of his story. It like no. somehow naturally gets there. And you're like, no. okay. Like, man, he's he's very, very talented, which is cool that like we're able to realize that while he's alive, you know, not like 200 years from now. It's like, cool, this guy's like just now getting realized for being what he is. I don't think it's changed very much from my prediction of the last one, which, and I think this is more of my hope than what I think is going to happen. I hope this story ends With Roland having sacrificed himself for the greater good and kind of like a Jake going to fall moment and he catches him and in so doing so, dies. Reaching the tower, getting to the top level, maybe not having it be empty, though I don't even know what that means. Um, (laughs) But obviously it's like not a good thing. So it's always like said with trepidation of like, and it could be empty. And it's like, what is that? But it's like the tower levels aren't, They're like all the worlds, like what is an empty world? I don't know. So, and I hope it ends with like Eddie and Susanna living hand in hand happily ever after. Uh, Bad guy's dead. Jake kind of being like their son, but also cooler than them. I will be fine if Oi kicks the can in this last book, if he does it in a way that saves an entire level of the tower.
0: Okay. Cool. I can't say anything about what you just said, but it's really interesting to hear. And by the time you and I are sitting down to discuss the, the answer to the question that I just asked you, that'll be the seventh episode of our journey to the Dark Tower. And what a journey what this a has been. What wow. it has been. Yeah, I'm so happy that we did this. Uh, this This series was a really long time coming um, for yes. the podcast. And I, I, and I almost wanted to start the podcast with it, but we went, we didn't have our chops yet. No, well, we, we, we can, it's
1: like starting with Malazan or something we gotta work yeah. our way up to it and this is one of those you know we say this about every book but this one especially is the journey was hugely augmented with not only the listeners but especially like you and your brain and your knowledge of Stephen and your passion for for the king writing the books of or his works of literature um, it made me I think like it a lot more forced to think about it a yeah. lot more
0: yeah, i think you would you you have cruised right through it. it and you would have liked yeah. it but this is one of those series that it's it's just as much fun to talk about it as it is to read yeah uh, and everybody listening thank you so much for being part of this journey with us we we really really we would just be two guys talking in our rooms without you and that's fun Man, but we'd it's be so much more less cool without you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, with that everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode, we have one more episode for the core series and then one episode after that for the wind through the keyhole and then we're going to say goodbye to our friends that we've made along the way the quartet that has been forming and you're all part of our quartet. And we thank you for sharing Kef with us and listening to us Dan in.
1: Oh, absolutely. Wonderfully <laughs> said, Evan. I'm also really excited that I get to experience one of the series one of the books of this series that you have never read before. Yeah, that'll be really that fun. Together for the first absolutely. Time. It's like kind of a full full Monty situation, you know.
0: Everybody hope you have an awesome rest of your day, and of course, happy reading.
1: Bye everybody, and Evan. As always, long days and pleasant nights.
0: Hey, you have twice the number.